welcome to this episode of the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns, along with my co-hosts, Aaron Blau and Kyle Mackey. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic Sunday after a nice win and uh, uh, enjoyable weather, probably for the last weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a beautiful night at Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex last night, both in the weather and on the pitch. Um, you know, it, was, it wasn't a dollar beer night, but it seems like we had that magic last night. So it was a, it was a great match, and you know, it's it's going to be a bummer not having anything to to go watch next weekend. But uh, I'm hoping that we'll be able to have a solid result up there in Salt Lake. And at this moment, I'd like to take a 10 second moment of silence. And that moment of silence is to commemorate Hartford ending their 10-match winless streak in USL with their first-ever victory today. 2-1 over Luton United. Big road win. They get two goals in the second half. Hartford has a winning streak, ladies and gentlemen. If you count that 2-1 over Cosmos, we are looking at the dankest timeline in USL. Give them another 10 wins in a row, and they'll be at the top of the Eastern Conference. But congratulations to Hartford. <laughs> and I and and I want to know if if I heard a Freudian slip or not. Did you say the the Eastern Conference? That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> nice, excellent. Oh man, yeah! Congratulations to them. Great to see that. I mean, you have to count that win over the Cosmos as the, as the start of the winning streak, and uh, just so so. Oh, glad for them that they finally were able to get that monkey off their back because uh, 10 games is a long, long time to go without a win. Well, if it makes yeah, them, oh, I was just going to say, yeah. if it makes them feel better, they don't have the worst goal differential in USL because Tacoma is doing their thing. <laughs> well, and I think uh, that, that ends all of the streaks because Fresno uh, finally lost a match too, but I think they lost that last week. Not this week. I don't think they played this week. Tampa's still unbeaten, though. Oh, are they? Yes. Uh, what do I know about the Eastern Conference? Uh, well, anyways, enough enough banter. Let's get to our team. Uh, before we do that, quick shout-out to our sponsor, uh, the Arizona Sports Complex, located by the 17 and 101 freeways. They offer not just indoor soccer leagues, but leagues for other sports, too. They have basketball. They have lacrosse. They do corporate events and parties so if you want to get up there let them know the rising as one podcast sent you and you'll get a discount on annual membership so two matches to talk about for phoenix this weekend and the first one a really exciting one to discuss four nil over las vegas lights you guys were both there what was it like go ahead kyle oh it was good i mean i i thought it was a usual Saturday night crowd. Um, I, I was very surprised to see everyone in such a good attitude. After that, you know, heartbreak. We were going up against a great team in New Mexico, and anything can happen in penalties. And, you know, it doesn't now we got to stay focused on the league. And, you know, I mean, early on, I think that, you know, we really started this match off on the right foot, which was something that uh, I've been preaching for weeks now. So it was just, it was great to see. Um, I mean, the supporter section, 
everyone it seemed like was just raring to go from the first whistle. What was the rest of the stadium like, Aaron? Yeah, you know, uh, I was a little bit concerned whether or not attendance was going to be down a little bit. There's, it's kind of a funky weekend as we're heading into uh, college graduation uh, just happened. High school graduations are coming up. People are about to take vacations for Memorial Day. So, you know, some people may be reserving, reserving some of their money for uh, other activities. But, you know, it really filled up nicely. There was a lot of people uh, walking around. I had to park. I got... Not quite the latest I've ever gotten there, but I had to park as far back as I've ever had to, had to park in the parking lot, which is a real pain in the butt when you have to carry 50 pounds worth of photography equipment. Um, you, you know, and in prior years that they uh, allowed the media to park up front, which was really, really nice. Uh, but I guess Jose thinks that I need exercise. He would be correct. Uh, but, you know, regardless, I had to schlep all my stuff up. Uh, across aisles and aisles and aisles of cars kind of sucks except when you realize that all those people all those cars are filling up a stadium and really ready to provide a really excellent environment for uh soccer in the desert here yeah the, the parking situation i mean it's all right i'm sorry you had to walk so far with all that equipment um, I've been parking on the other side at Tempe Marketplace and just walking it, but I know you can't really do that with all your equipment. Um, I don't know. Suck it up, right? Only the strong yeah, for, survive. Only the strong survive, exactly. Trust me, I do need the exercise, so um, you know that that's just the way that goes. Um, a couple surprises in the opening lineup as well. Uh, definitely wondering what was going to have to happen after the U.S. Open Cup match, because, uh, and we'll talk about the Open Cup match roster, but really ran ran a solid roster out there for the Open Cup game against New Mexico, and was wondering, hey, are, are these guys going to be able to play again in just a couple days later? Uh, so what we found was we had Zach Lubin back in net. Uh, Wazinski uh, played in the Open Cup match, so Lubin was totally fresh. H.J. Uh, Cochran returned to the back line. John Baccaro, Kevon Lambert, Jose Aguinaga, Adam John, Solomon Asante, and Junior Flemings, all who played in the Open Cup match, uh, at least for for a portion of it, uh, all returning to the lineup again on Saturday. Uh, adding into the back line, however, we had a return of the Duigi Mala. So uh, it's good to see Duigi come back out. And then uh, two FC Tucson players, Austin Ledbetter and Kyle Bjornson. So Ledbetter got some by being uh, the first FC Tucson call-up to Phoenix Rising. Here, he actually got some playing time uh, in the starting lineup. And Kyle Bjornson, who joined the team for the U.S. Open Cup match uh, so that uh, to add a little bit of depth onto the bench, actually also got a start. Uh, so I got to tell you, uh, Dom, my question to you on this is when you see Ledbetter and Bjornson in the uh uh, in the starting lineup, along with Duigi Mala, who hasn't played too much, what was your initial thought? Um, my initial thought is, all right, this is a, let's see what happens. I mean, I can't say I was terribly surprised, given that most of our starters on Wednesday played 120 minutes, especially in the back. But it definitely raised my eyebrows a little bit to see uh, Bjornthan, who hadn't even been subbed on, with us uh, getting into the starting 11. Uh, Mala, 
I did actually see Mala getting into the starting eleven, but um, no, it still still was like, all right, let's see how this goes. I mean, interesting experiment, but you know, I wasn't sure what to think. Yeah, and and uh, you know, having Mustafa Dumbaya, uh, Dumbuya, and uh, Amadou Dia, they they needed rest. They absolutely needed rest. Uh, Dia, I think, is our Iron Man. Uh, still retains the position of Iron Man in total minutes played. Uh, so it was good to see them get rest. But going up against a, a conference foe uh, versus the U.S. Cup, it was definitely a little bit concerning. Uh, game started, uh, and you guys will have to jump in and tell me a couple. You know what what might what I might end up missing here. But game started pretty. Pretty typical sort of feeling out. Nothing too terribly exciting. Uh, in the 11th minute, Adam John uh, gets a gets a shot off. Um, it gets saved in the center of goal. Um, there's just some good feeling out that, that occurs. In the 24th minute, uh, Phoenix Rising fans get a real adrenaline push and, and a real... The realization that Solomon Asante is back in full form uh, as he takes a, a real nice cut across the, uh, the left-hand side of the box, places a ball across the front side of the goal, and unfortunately posts it off of the far side. But it was very exciting. But I'll tell you, uh, Kyle, and I'm wondering what you were thinking looking at it from the supporter section. When I saw that, I thought, here it goes again. Here goes yet another game where all we're going to do is hit posts time after time. Yeah, no, it, it did a little bit that started to creep into my mind, I'd have to say, especially because even in the second minute, we actually had an opportunity through Junior Flemings, and he just shot it straight at Thomas Olsen, the Las Vegas goalkeeper. So it seemed like, yeah, it was one of those nights, again, that we just we can't get that final finish, can't just be clinical in front of the net. And, um, yeah, but, I, I mean, there's two sides to it i was worried but also i think it was early enough to where i still had enough faith in this team that we were going to get something out of it just because uh it seemed like the players really had a lot of just try out there on the field they were really really just pushing it seemed like pushing las vegas around and that was something that you know we hadn't always seen this season so it was encouraging yeah and the ball movement seemed to be pretty solid uh we're constantly looking at this this new more possession style play uh, possession style play that we're we're playing, and we're looking at to see, okay, you know, how is this working? Is this actually, you know, happening for us basically? And I'll tell you one thing that happened for us in the 32nd minute uh, was a really lousy occurrence, I guess. A, 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 a misplay of the ball. Yeah, it was a bad touch by. A, Lubin, who was you know in the keeper off of a ball that came from almost the half line, uh, coming all the way back, and he just had a really rough touch on it, laid it up very very nicely for um, uh, for Junior Sandoval, and Sandoval goes one on one with Lubin, with two Phoenix Rising defenders streaking back, places the ball going to the back post and hits it incredibly accurately right off of the back post. Uh, I think he may have had a, could have taken an extra touch, and that ball would have been in. But boy, that got my heart racing a little bit. What was the view like from the uh, supporter section there? Because that happened right in front of you, Kyle. 
Yeah, it did. And, and I mean, time slowed down at that point. Lubin, you know, gives away that ball, unfortunately. And, I mean, it, it – I – I personally thought, great, we're we're going to be down one nil right now because, you know, it, it absolutely looked like Sandoval was going to put that in the back of the net. And I mean, Lubin had to thank his post after that because it was, you know, just unfortunate for Vegas, but very lucky for Phoenix. I, and and to me, the second lucky piece of that is we actually got to see um, AJ Cochran showing some real speed because he sprinted back hardcore and he sprinted back right to that back post to try to deflect the ball. But if that ball was a little bit slower, if it would have gone off of off of AJ Cochran, we would have been looking at an own goal there instead of a poster. Um, so you know, maybe thank God for slightly slower defenders, uh, because it, every time I look at that replay, I'm going, my God, that ball's going to go right off of his foot, right off his leg. It's going to hit right back in the goal. Um, so maybe at that point, that's where I said to myself. Huh? Maybe we have some luck on our side here finally tonight, uh, because somebody else is hitting a post instead of just us. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And that's kind of a crucial moment in the match too, because I think what was refreshing about this start is that in some matches we didn't bring a lot of energy from the start, but I think this time you guys both hit it on the nail, especially Kyle, that the guys were fighting really hard from the first kick tonight. Um, we had the upper hand for most of those first 32 minutes. Um, and so for that not to go in the net, it was just a huge sigh of relief because if that ball goes in, now we're down 1-0, even though we're controlling the run of play. And then that starts getting in people's heads like, oh, man, maybe this won't be our night. Like, we've had all the chances. We haven't scored. They get one, and they put it in. Like, I don't know. It starts, and then the crowd feeds off that negative energy, too. Instead, it stays out, and it's like, all right, like we're gonna get our chance. If they if they can't put that in, they're gonna pay for it because we're gonna score. And that chance did just come just a couple minutes later, the fortieth, uh, the fortieth minute. Kevon Lambert's able to put a nice right-footed shot um, off of a Jose Aguinaga assist, which uh, maybe we need a that that should be a half of half assist to uh, Adam John uh, because Aguinaga puts it. Um, just you know, maybe about the eight yard mark, uh, or uh, right across the face of goal. Looks like it's going to John, who's in great poacher's position there, to be able to put that shot on net uh, in a very sort of Chris Cortez-like manner. And instead, John pulls up, lets the ball go through, dummies the ball, and that leaves it straight to the feet of Kevon Lambert, who is cool as a cucumber, uh, uses his foot in. in in an incredibly, is it, when we're coaching U10, we're telling the kids, use the inside of the foot, pretend it's a broom, push the ball forward properly. A lot of times they want to come in and drive the ball, and that's the same kind of cases that you want to. You see, very typically players come up and they hit the ball with the laces with their with their toe pointed down, and they sky the ball. Instead, Lambert uses the inside of his foot, pushes the ball. Toward the toward the front post and in in the goal it goes. Uh, Dom, you had some uh, some uh, opinions about this goal as well. Yeah, I think it just shows the maturity of Kevon Lambert and that composure that we haven't had in a lot of matches this season. Um, you know, great ball by Aguinaga. Um, 
whether it was intentional or not, a very effective dummy by Adam John. Um, and the ball gets to Lambert, and I think it's a situation where maybe a year or two ago, he tries to blast it, and maybe it just goes over the bar or just goes wide or something like that. And we ends up had, in a parking lot. Right, and we've even had we've even had other players um, who you'd expect to put those in miss those kinds of chances this season. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was gonna say I was gonna say Drogba, but then you said this season. But <laughs> but uh, no, but he's just super composed. He sees the open uh, side of the net, and instead of trying to be a hero with it, he's just like, "Look." Just control the ball, put it in, it's there, and just rolls it in with the side foot. I think super composed, super mature finish there, um, and a huge, huge lift because if we go in at nil-nil, then there's more of that sense of uh, tension and frustration and, ah, man, like we got to get this winner still. When you get that lead going into halftime, it just allows everyone to take that deep breath, be like, all right, we got control of this match. We still have to play our game, but we're up. They're going to be the team feeling the pressure, and then we can hit them on counterattacks, take advantage of those opportunities. Absolutely. So we're able to go in, uh, go into halftime with a uh, 1-0 lead, maybe uh, talk a little bit about tactics and, and whatnot. Things are pretty settled. Las Vegas look to be a decent team. I mean, they certainly had their opportunities uh, in, in the first half, but no finishing, and, and that's the big thing. You know, when Eric Winala came into Las Vegas, I, I had heard an interview with him earlier in the season, and he cleaned house. Uh, he kept four players from last year. I think that was it. He kept four players from that team, and one of them was injured and may still be injured and unavailable to play. So like, this is his team that he, that he is totally designed from pretty much the bottom up. Uh, with the exception of, I think, uh, in this particular starting lineup, Sammy Ochoa. And Thomas Olsen, um, too. Uh, yeah, and Thomas Olsen, right. Um, Hara played for them last year, too, but that's it. Otherwise, yeah. new look. So, you know, we, we were used to making fun of Las Vegas Lights last year for their antics and their, their kind of craziness, but this is not even this close to the same team. They, they almost should have changed the name. Um, but... You know, it's Vegas. Uh, so we come out of halftime, immediately uh, put on the back foot in the 46th minute uh, with a uh, uh, with a strike from Christian Hernandez. Uh, he was pretty far out, uh, maybe uh, maybe at the top of the attacking third, uh, or the, actually the, uh, the top of the 18-yard box, uh, puts a left-footed ball, which again hits the goalkeeper's best friend uh, pretty square and, and uh, takes us out of danger. This shot convinced me that it's our night. It finally is our night. These poles are finally put in the right position to help us instead of hurt us. Um, but definitely was a little bit scary for us. Any, any comments on that uh, defensive breakdown? I mean, it's pretty standard shot. Yeah, I think more than anything, that's a pretty impressive shot from a defender for Las Vegas to even come that close on a one-time outside the 18-yard box. Like, I, I wouldn't fault the defense too much for allowing that. I mean, he really just had a great hit on it. Yeah, and he was one of two players who were actually, for Las Vegas, 
who are subbed in at halftime. So a little bit odd that they use both of their subs uh, at halftime. And, and that kind of came to came to hurt them a little bit later on uh, when without recognizing that one of their defend or one of their players a defender was in a little bit of yellow card trouble there. Uh, 51st minute, about a, as beautiful a goal as I've ever seen. And I think uh, Coach Chance actually mentioned something about it in his postgame comments. Uh, just a, an absolutely fantastic piece of team play that should be used in any any sort of you know demonstra- uh, demonstration video of how you're supposed to play out of, out of the half. Uh, Junior Fleming's coming up. He's shading just to the left of center. Uh, starts driving toward toward the center of the goal. Adam Johnson to good position to take a give and go. Places the go part on the, uh, in in a great position. Fleming's uh, in a very mature manner, where we would typically see him actually take this shot. Places a ball right across the top of the six yard mark. Uh, finds the foot of Solomon Asante who, again, just has some incredible composure to put a good foot on the ball. Uh, again, this is another one of these that, that we've seen our guys sky past. But instead of skying it, he drives it directly past the goalkeeper, uh, and now we are rolling to nothing. And what a great ball by Flemings, because that had to be pinpoint in its accuracy. If that ball is any closer to the goal, Thomas Olsen can either get a uh, punch on it or just grab the ball. If it's, you know, a couple yards back towards the penalty spot, um, a defender's probably able to get their foot on the ball, clear it out for a corner. So he just puts it, he probably has a two-yard window between the keeper and where the defenders can get it and just drives it right in that window. And then you have Asante making that trademark back post run, does what he needs to do, and uh Huge kudos to him. This is his first start since he got back from Ghana um, for his dad's burial, his dad's funeral. Um, I think the burial is going to be later, but uh, his funeral. So um, I'm sure that goal meant a lot to Solomon, uh, and it definitely meant a lot to all the supporters. So uh, really cool to see. Absolutely. And, and he immediately came up uh, after that goal, pointed directly at Bandito's. Came across the face of goal, pointed directly over to Red Fury, pointed down to the ground as to say, you know, this is our house. You know, we're here. This is, this, you know, we're going to protect this this field. We're going to protect this pitch. Uh, and uh, just a, a really amazing show of leadership on his part. Um, and a, a real show of respect to the supporters um, who have done their job in, in, in his time, you know, time of need, time of sadness. I will tell you, uh, Kyle, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Solomon Asante last night uh, because I thought this little dude was everywhere on the pitch. He was on the right side. He's on the left side. He's leading the charge. He's a, he's a back post runner. He was just all over the place. And there was something about his play that was free and unencumbered last night uh, that I don't think we've seen yet this season. Yeah, no, he, he was electric last night. Um, it, re- it really was just a different Solomon Asante to what we've what we've been seeing. So, for me, I mean, that goal itself was just a patience and just amazing control to be able to put the ball into the net and past Olsen like that. And I mean, I I really just think that Asante needed a match like this so bad 
you know, they said he hadn't scored since the Tacoma match. And I think that for a player like Asante, you know, that's quite a while to go without a match. And all the emotion that he's been going through, like Dominic said, with his, his dad passing away and the funeral, I think for him to get back and be able to get to work like this, you know, this is this is just exactly what we needed and what Solomon Asante needed. And I really look forward to him to helping lead this team because, like we've said, we've lacked that leadership role this year and though he may not do it verbally i think with his actions he's no doubt the leader on the field yeah and and as somebody who's i lost, I lost my father uh, a little over a year ago and th- there were circumstances that occurred prior to that which you know made this this experience weigh heavily for a long period of time and i remember i recall you know really vividly uh after he passed um a levity you know, and, and uh, I don't know if he was sick for a long time. I know he was pretty up there in age. I think he was about 80 years old uh, when he passed. And I don't know if, if, if that helps purge, you know, purge those feelings, purge that stress, that sort of everyday feeling of is, you know, is this the day that I get the phone call? Um, and now he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. When that when that lifts off of your shoulders, it does allow for a certain uh, a certain level of mental freedom, um, and he just played so light, just like he was ice skating across the pitch last night. It was just a really uh, a wonderful thing to see, um, and and an honor to watch, frankly, because he was just so good last night. So after his fifty first minute goal. Um, we have some sort of continued action that occurs, but nothing real heavy. And and I don't recall in that any huge Las Vegas lights challenges. Uh, I think the lights actually finished statistically. Uh, I'm going to double check this really quick. They had zero shots on target the whole night. 13 total shots, zero on target, um, which is just embarrassing <laughs> to, to say the least I guess uh, but in this period between the, the 51st minute Asante goal uh, we start having our some substitutions come in uh, we pull off um, Jose Aguinaga and put on Joey Calistri uh, anybody think that that was oh uh, I'm sorry before that was yeah yeah that was our first uh, Aguinaga comes off Calistri comes on What's your thought on that substitution choice, guys? Not that much thought, I guess. Oh, I was waiting for Dom. I, I mean, yeah. for me, it was, I personally, me, I want to see Devin Vega get on the field. I, I really am disappointed in the lack of opportunity he's gotten with the Phoenix first team this year. So I was hoping to see Aguinaga for Vega, kind of a like for like, but or actually, no, this this wasn't the... I'm talking about the wrong substitution. No, but, um, Agu- Agu- yeah, Kalistri in for Aguinaga. But, and so that's what you would normally see. Aguinaga yes. comes out, Vega comes in. That's the position that gets played because Kalistri is typically a wing, uh, you know, a, a, a winger. So I don't, I don't know if at that point they changed shape or not. I didn't notice that. And maybe we'll see that in the Rising Tactics recap that will come out on Monday or Tuesday uh, by Joe Lowry on FirebirdSoccer.net. Um, but I would typically see Vega in that situation. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's that, That's kind of where I was at. I mean, it was Kalistri. I think he's done plenty, especially in the Open Cup. He showed up, but it, I mean, for me, it's just it's disappointing not to see Vega get any get any reps. But you know, I think maybe Kalistri has more defensive work than Vega at times. So maybe that's something that was weighing into Rick Schantz's mind, being that we were only up two nil at this point. Yeah, I and mean, both of them had played in the prior match, and Kalistri actually. This is the third straight game after we hadn't seen Kalistri hardly at all. Um, and this is the third third straight game that we get to see him with an appearance. Uh, a few minutes later, we see a defensive substitution. Now, Dom, I don't know if you saw this on the replay or not. Um, I only heard comments because I couldn't see it actually there. Duigi Mala gets subbed off in favor of uh, Joe Farrell. And everything that I heard behind me, and, and I saw some things on Twitter, is that Mala was less than pleased to be exiting the field. Uh, were you able to see that on the playback? Uh, I was not. Uh, it doesn't surprise me, though, because Muller hasn't gotten a lot of time this season. He hasn't even been able to come on as a sub very often, so I'm sure he was thrilled to get the start, and I'm sure he was looking forward to a full 90 minutes. Um, so to see him get subbed off for Joe Farrell, I'm sure, had to be frustrating because, I mean, the way he's looking at it, look, we have a shutout going. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why are you taking me out? It's not even like he was on a card. So, I mean, I, I understand, but these things happen. And at the same time, Farrell has probably earned uh, his role as a starting center back. So I understand wanting to protect a 2-0 lead. You make that substitution. But uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things that happens. Yeah, but, and I'll tell you, for, for my purposes, I didn't think about the back line at all up to this point. I mean, that except for the one misstep, which I think was, was the back pass from uh, Bjornsson um, that, that Lubin had trouble handling, I wasn't even thinking about the back line. You know, they were doing their job. There wasn't any mistakes. There wasn't any like, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy did that. Or, you know, why did that guy do this? Everybody was doing their job. They were protecting just fine. I don't – I just – found it interesting that we used a substitute for a defensive player, um, you know, coming toward the end of the game. I think Mala, Mala had a nice uh, nice match up to that point. Uh, but moving forward up into the uh, um, up into the 77th minute, we see Adam John find the ball at his feet. Um, I forget exactly. You know, it was just kind of some... some uh, Middle of the box, 18th, 18 yard line movement across the center. John dribbles a little bit and then just kind of puts up like a, like a, it wasn't a quick, exactly a Hail Mary shot, but his, back's, his back is to the goal and just sort of does a hook turn uh, and, and places the ball on net. And the keeper does, is able to get a hand on it, doesn't well, have too much trouble uh, getting, it, getting a hand on it. But he can't hold it. Let's and let's, call spade, that, let's call a spade a spade. He was John was able to get a shot away as he was fading away, but it was like a lazy, you know, like just a soft kind of like soft line drive shot. The keeper should have no problem catching this. This is a shot that I save harder ones in small goal regularly. And yeah, catch harder ones in small goal regularly, and it just slips through his hands and. The ball just trickles over the line before he can do anything about it. 
Um, kind of reminds me of like Clint Dempsey in the World Cup against England. Um, not exactly the same kind of shot, but a shot that's like so easy to save, that's so routine. It's almost like, well, I guess there's nothing else to do, so I'll just throw it towards the net, and it counts as a shot on target for me, I guess. But I don't really know yeah. what else to do here. And then it's just a gift. I mean, that's... And, 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 and trickle, like, to me, is the right word. Because as that shot was, like, rolling across the line, I, I was shifting my... I had to uh, shift my camera shot. Um, but it just felt like it was... It was just this slow roller that was taking forever. And you're like, is this really happening? Is this really happening? Come on, can you just let it happen now? Let's... let's... <laughs> it, it was hilarious to me, anyway. Uh uh, was, what was that look? Because that happened right in front of you. Yeah, it, it did. I I was at that point, you know, I was grabbing the rail, jumping up and down. I think I was just screaming at the ball, hoping that it followed my voice. Because, yeah, I mean, it literally, you see Olsen go to make that save and then, yeah, bobbles it, kind of slips through the back of his arm and just starts bounces on the ground. And as you said, trickles. I mean, I, it, it looked like a blade of grass was cut too long and was going to stop it it was just so close but just glides across that line and <laughs> when you see Olsen go and pick up that ball and I believe it was Asante goes and consoles him and when you have you know a player from another team who's you know <laughs> helping out the keeper like that and you know just letting him know that they did the best they could it's uh even though he really didn't it was it was unreal and that at that point I mean the supporters were just going <laughs> off at that point it was oh, I was gonna say like how how bad was it the supporters just tearing him a new one? Oh yeah oh everyone i mean everyone was it's all your fault it's all your <laughs> fault i mean just you know just letting olsen have it and for an fc tucson product you feel for him but uh i mean you know there's no love lost when you're playing for the lights so uh it was unfortunate that it had to happen to him but it had to happen to somebody so the the funny thing is, is this was one of my absolute favorite shots that I've taken, I think, you know, in, in two and a half years of doing photography, was the ball just right in the middle of the goal line and nothing else. Like, you know, yes. if, if, if I show this picture to, like, somebody else or, you know, some other fan happened to run across this, they'd be like, you know, what is this? But I know what this ball is now, you know, just moving slowly, rotating slowly across the goal line and uh, to, to be able to make its way in. Um, so at this point, the, the route is on. Uh, everything is bouncing our way. Uh, the place is going crazy. And then we have an 82-minute foul by Moby Fear uh, to get his second yellow card in the 82nd minute. Moby Fear gets sent off. I didn't actually see the foul. I could just see you know, kind of some scrum that was occurring. Um, at that point, and I think even that might have it, it might have been at that point that um, oh, let me see if that's what it was. I mean, it was a no, lazy, bad foul. Yeah, James Musa had just come on in substitution for John Baccaro, uh when that foul happened, and Musa was lit up about this foul uh, and, and makes his way in. Moby Fear gets his second yellow card, and now. There's just no reason for the Las Vegas Lights fans who made the four-and-a-half-hour drive to stay. Um, and the electric company makes its way out of uh, Section 1. I, I believe it's Section 111 over there. Yeah, it's not a, not a huge showing for them. I guess one of them... Uh, did one of them bring a trumpet? 
Yes, yeah, they have. Yeah, a, yeah they, they did. They have a trumpet player. I, I, I dig it because I'm a, tr- you know, I'm a brass guy. But you know, he he was rather quiet the second half. Well, yeah, there's not not a lot to trumpet about there, um, and it it finishes off with another goal, um, and it's Asante and Flemings again. Um, do you want to describe this one? I mean, it was it was just Asante playing a great ball through to Flemings. Um, and Fleming's had a strong match last night, especially the second half. He deserved to get on the sheet, and he did. Um, just blast it. Kind of a similar goal to the one against New Mexico where we tied it in extra time. Um, you know, great ball through by Asante, finds a winger in space, and then just blast it in. Yeah, and Asante's positioning in that goal is kind of interesting because, you know, we typically think of Asante as a wing. Um, he, he was dribbling his way through the center of the field at that point, uh, finds a... I mean, Flemings wasn't exactly streaking. Uh, he, I've certainly seen him run run harder and faster. Uh, but, you know, using the right amount of pace, he was given space. Asante sucked in the defenders into that center of midfield, uh, which really just opened up space for Flemings to... to uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, he, he, it was sort of a saunter. It was a jog. Um, it was a gallop, maybe, <laughs> and uh, places the ball in the back of the net. Flemings also gives immediate respect to uh, the supporters section, uh, you know, and uh, as, as well as maybe a little homage to, uh, to Solomon and Solomon's father, uh, points up to the sky. And, uh, yeah, and we're in great shape and... and, and at that point, it's just party time and enjoyment and lots of excitement to be able to to, to take into uh, the next match. So what are you guys' final thoughts on this one before we turn towards that open, open cup, you know, thriller slash heartbreak? Uh, I, I enjoyed this match. I look at this as a development, uh, really a nice continued development of play that we've seen kind of since just before the RGV match. We have consecutive games with improvement in each game. And yes, we lost the U.S. Open Cup match. We're going to talk a little bit about that um, against a, a, a really, what's turning out to be a really outstanding team. But each of the past games, we're seeing more complete matches and more complete game. Um, so the title of, of the, the recap on firebirdsoccer.net it relates to trusting the process um, and that's essentially what what's going on the rising tactics recap is vision comes into focus everything that we're talking about here is that that the, this this method of play that chances is implementing is finally coming to fruition here and we're especially with Becaro on the field we're finally able to see how the ball is supposed to be moving. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you, Aaron. I mean, this is, you know, it's it's definitely been a good progression over the past couple couple matches. I mean, you start with with RGV. I mean, you could even start the last twenty minutes in Orange County. You know, the the guys really tried to get something out of that match, and then RGV. You know, it was a, a very good, solid match, and then I think the New Mexico game. I mean, yeah, we switched off and were punished. And uh, but still, we were able to you know get back in that match and take it to penalties, and to do that shows a lot of heart. 
and for this team to come out and have the kind of performance they did last night after, you know, getting their hearts broken on Wednesday, that shows a lot of character, I think. And, you know, it, it just shows that they were able to put everything, you know, in the rear view and focus on the league. And, and this, I mean, this kind of match against a team that, you know, Las Vegas, we know their road form has been terrible, but they are a team that a lot of people are, you know, surprised by this year. And if they have had some solid results at home. So to be able to go out and just dominate them, I think it's a great sign. And it really encourages me for this upcoming match against Monarchs. I think, you know, we can have some confidence going up to uh, Utah. Yeah, especially against a, a Monarch side that isn't their typical selves, you know, not the team that we've seen the last two years. We'll dive into that more when we preview that match, but um, very encouraging, and I think this was the most complete performance for Phoenix Rising this year, you know, with the defense, the midfield, and the attack all, you know, clicking, being opportunistic. Weirdly enough, the only potential weak link was goalie, which has been such a strength for us this year. But um, but everyone lifts each other up, and that's awesome. Um, we should probably turn to that Open Cup match, uh, which finished 2-2 after 120 minutes, 1-1 after 90, 0-0 at halftime. I mean, Phoenix and New Mexico, these teams are just spitting mirror images of each other. It is ridiculous it really is if you look statistically and and even if you just sort of like go sort of pot for pot in positioning the teams match up so well um against each other and it's so clear how how this team is really a challenge to us i mean they deserve they deserve everything that they've had so far uh but this is, you know, when you're talking about Cody Mizell and goal, he's the save leader. I think he had 13, uh, he had 11 saves, 13 if you count the penalty kicks. Uh, you have Austin Yearwood having a good year, Santi Moore, and of course, Kevon Freider, uh, who, you know, I guess you can say has been freed um, from whatever we were not letting him do, uh, who is playing out of his mind. He's now the golden boot leader and completely deserving of it. So very, very interesting to see what's going to happen when we roll into New Mexico for that final, uh, final leg of the home and home. Yeah. I, I can't wait to go to that match in, uh, Albuquerque in September you know, if it's anything like these first two matches, what a treat that whole stadium's going to be in for where they get... And they'll probably get like 13,000, 14,000 for that match too because it's a Saturday, it's a big opponent. Um, and it's a September match, so it'll it's gonna, it'll have playoff, you know, playoff positioning uh, written all over it. It could be, yeah, it could be a battle for, you know, the top seeds in the West because right now we're four points back. We have a match in hand. So and we have the same goal difference. So for all the talk of like us being in the gutter and then being so much, you know, ahead of us, really, if we take care of our business, they have a one point lead on us through twelve matches played. I mean that's that's nothing. So I I do expect both these teams to continue their success and for it to go down to the wire. And my goodness, I mean, this feels like 
this feels like Sun Spurs are one of those great rivalries in other pro sports where every match, the teams are so evenly matched, where the margins of error are so tight. It's two teams that really despise each other, but respect the hell out of each other too. It's a very, it's a very professional rivalry. It's a very, like that's why I say Sun Spurs as opposed to Suns Lakers because, or like us with OC, where yeah, OC Las Vegas. I think some fans consider them rivals, but it's more like these organizations can't compare to us. They're jokes, and we just hate the fact that they try to compare themselves to us. This is like we're two teams on equal footing. Both fan bases respect what the other one brings to the table. There's that mutual respect to it, kind of like Sun Spurs, where, you know, we're playing some incredible games, very intense, like very magical moments, um, but, you know, two class fan bases too, and teams, just everything. Well, let's get into it a little bit. I'll tell you, I couldn't have been any more wrong in my lineup pick. Um, I wrote the preview for uh, FirebirdSoccer.net for this for the U.S. Open Cup game, and I had a hell of a time trying to figure out what kind of a lineup we were going to end up having. Um, I think I missed it most of the positions. <laughs> um, so we start with Carl Wazinski in goal. I did get that one right. AJ Cochran on the back line. I did get that one right. Um, but we went through with our standard back four. Um, and that is the first indication that we were taking this match very seriously. Um, AJ Cochran, Joey Farrell, Amadou Dia, Mustafa Dumbaya. In the middle, we had James Musa and Jose Aguinaga. Uh, also, Kevon Lambert, John Beccaro, Joey Calistri, and Junior Flemings. This is our starting lineup for any match, uh, with with the exception of Joey Calistri, who would normally be in for some... Uh, that position would normally be filled by Solomon Asante. Asante, having just come back from Ghana, maybe not 90 minutes match fit at that point. Um, so they, they opt to go for Kalistri. But this is our starting lineup other than Kalistri. And then Wazinski and Lubin, you can kind of interchange a little bit. Uh, Kyle, were you surprised with this lineup? A little bit, but also, I mean, we've talked about it. We we really wanted to put a focus on the cup, and, and you know, Rick Schantz, I think, wanted to, too. I think he saw an opportunity, and, you know, I think he kind of figured that New Mexico in their first Open Cup match, they were going to go all out, too. You know, they wanted to put a focus on this match as well, and it was also reflected in their starting lineup. So, yeah, two very, very strong starting 11s, and, you know, it made for a very interesting and fun match, but it was... Uh, you know, looking back at it last night, you know, it was it was something that we definitely saw reflected in the last 15 minutes because we just had some very tired legs out there on the field. So, yeah. Dom, I, I think you've, you've put together notes. Uh, why don't you uh, take us through some of this? Sure. So I never saw the announced attendance for this match. I It looked like, you know, 4,000, 4,500-ish, um, but a pretty decent crowd. And, you know, the people that were there were very invested in this match. Um, New Mexico came right out of the gate and were trying to blow our doors down from the opening kickoff. The first five minutes were quite frankly rough to watch. Um, they had an opportunity where Carl was on an island. Um, Kavan, Freider, and Santi Moore had a double chance, and Carl saved both of them um, with the defense just scrambling in that situation. Um, but after those first five minutes, Phoenix settled down 
started doing better with possession. Um, Kevon Lambert had a really nice uh, hard-low shot, maybe a, a precursor to the goal on Saturday. Um, so Mizell had to put that one out for a corner. You know, Jose Aguinaga and Junior Flemings had a couple moments, shots that didn't quite hit the target, but good opportunities. Um, and then right before halftime, John Baccaro great, uh, gave Junior Flemings a great pass. Flemings has an amazing run, gets past two defenders, and I think most people thought he was going to put that in the back of the net right in front of the supporters, um, and his shot just fails him there. It's one of those ones that goes over the bar um, where there was a lot of open goal. Could have been a huge goal right before halftime to go up 1-0. So it stays 0-0 at the half, uh, but you know, just a very hard-fought, very even first half. Um you know, in the second half, New Mexico gets a, a both teams actually get big opportunities. Uh, first, Junior Flemings, around the 55th minute, was running up the right wing um, and put a shot on that Mizell had to get low to save. But then New Mexico came the other way um, and had to uh, make Carl save a near post shot. So it was, you know, just back and forth, edge of your seat. I was so nervous. I was t- I was texting my girlfriend, well, fiance now, during that match, uh, just about how nervous I was during this because New Mexico is a team where you really do feel like you're on the edge of your seat. Either team could, you know, take advantage of a small opportunity. The teams are so evenly matched. Um, <laughs> and she was like, "Well, you should just have a drink." I'm like, "Ah, but I'm in the press box. I can't do that." Um, but in the 63rd minute, we finally get a big break. Amadou Dia nutmegs Austin Yearwood. Incredible play. And then, um, he goes down and this is, you know, second time in two matches where, is it a PK? You know, Kyle, what was your thought on the penalty call? Well, when it took place... I was convinced it was a penalty because I wanted to believe it was a penalty. Um, looking back now, it, it, it is a another soft call, you know, one that, you know, some refs call it, some won't. New, New Mexico is going to say they got robbed, you know. But, uh, I mean, it was, you know, very fortunate for Phoenix, and I can't say we didn't earn the penalty at that point. We, you know, we fought hard in the match. We deserved to get something. It was, you know, unfortunate that it had to come through, you know, a bad call by the referee. But, you know, I didn't really care at that point. I just wanted to see us take that PK and, and get up 1-0. Yeah, so on my uh, Instagram, I, I took a, a photo of uh, Dia sitting there and I threw it up on my Instagram and I s- said something like, you know, soft and creamy but oh so satisfying. Uh, <laughs> there was a player who actually posted a comment about that with like laughs and hearts and like uh, uh, clapping. I'm not going to say who that player happened to be, uh, but uh, the, the, the player rightfully deleted it pretty quick because I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure he didn't want to be considered to be, uh, um, you know, criticizing anything like that or, or, or um, complimenting the call, I guess. Yeah, um, definitely a break for us. But I think, Kyle, your point is fair that we created a lot of chances and we created enough chances that the team deserved to have a goal for all of our efforts. Um, You know, unfortunately for us, 
New Mexico was also creating a lot of chances, and they also deserved to have a goal for their efforts. And, you know, of all the times, of all the chances they create, you know, clear-cut ones where Carl has to make huge one-on-one saves, you know, chances that zoom just past the post, Santi Moore had a couple of those. But of all the goals, the potential ones they have, they score in the 77th minute on a nothing play. Um, just a long ball played for Devin Sandoval, who just got subbed in. And Devin Sandoval must have had a uh, an ultimate team card or something. He went Didier Drogba on this header. And like from almost the penalty spot, gets up over AJ Cochran, brilliantly bends it just inside the right post in a spot where Carl can't make the save. And it's 1-1. I mean... This header is Drogba-esque. This is a stupid header. Like, a USL player should not score that. Straight up. Um, and Kyle, that was right in front of you. What, what were your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, it was uh, It was pretty disappointing, you know, because, you know, I, I personally know Devin Sandoval as a player, and, you know, he's a very quality player, has been all season for New Mexico. And when I saw him coming on, that was one of my first thoughts as well. They're, they got an aerial threat now, and, you know, he, he showed that very early on in his, ma- his appearance in the match. And, you know, it was unfortunate, and as you said, you know, he... <laughs> It seemed like Cochran, you know, thought that he could do everything he could and that, you know, Sandoval wasn't going to be able to to head the ball like that. But, you know, he was and, you know, it, it, it caught everyone, you know, off guard. And uh, as you said, a nothing play, but, you know, Mexico gets something from it. So uh, very unfortunate there. And, yeah, it was right in front of me. And I, I wish right away I didn't see it because it was a it was a it brought me down from that high of the penalty kick. That's for sure. But. You know, true respect on this because <clears throat> Josh Suggs had to place this ball in such a way. I mean, he was still he was marked by Cochran. Cochran just wasn't. You know, if that ball was three inches lower, Cochran would have been able to clear that. I mean, it was just a perfectly placed ball in the perfectly placed spot. Came off of his head. Came off his head to to get into goal past the keeper, who was well positioned as well. I mean, it it, it just was um, a, a really, and I hate to say it because it's the opposite team, obviously, but it was a really beautiful play, uh, and, and uh, it was a beautifully won goal in a in a perfect header in the perfect position. So, um, you know, unfortunately, we come up come off of it on the wrong end, uh, but Sandoval did really well by that play. Yeah, and this is, you know, to the point of, you know, respecting your opponents and the kind of respect that this rivalry has already brought from both sides. I mean, it's absolute class. I mean, this is a kind of goal that you see in Europe where it's just a quick ball forward and a beautiful header. Like, that kind of quality is just not something you see too often um, in the U.S., especially like on a long ball like that, it's a more Champions League style goal where you're just playing the ball and it's just an individual moment of magic. So, um, you know, hats off to Sandoval. Um, in the post-match thoughts, I was like, you know, game respects game. That was an amazing goal for him, um, and Sandoval liked it. So that was good to see. Uh, he became their first goal scorer in U.S. Open Cup history and first goal scorer in team history. 
So local guy from Albuquerque, that's really cool for them. Um, but still, there's over 10 minutes left, and we do have several chances to win this match. Adam John gets a header that Mizell punches over for a corner. AJ Cochran, on a corner kick, puts one across the face of goal that Mizell brilliantly full-stretch saves. Uh, and then late, Solomon Asante has a chance that Mizell saves. So we were knocking on that door to try to win this match, but Cody Mizell was just... He was just... I mean, both keepers were on another level in this match. I mean, it finished 2-2. This could have easily been 5-4. Yeah, you just I, I can't argue with that at all. I mean, it was just a lot of talent. Um, and it shows... There's this sort of, like, concept of... Um, amongst casuals or Euro snobs or whatever you want to say that... Hey, we're not going to watch until there's Division One soccer. Um, this was an entertaining as hell match. Anytime there's two evenly matched sides, I don't care if it's you know a, a U6 4v4 <laughs> match, or a high school match, or a college match, or UPSL, or any level. If they're evenly matched, it's entertaining, and this was an entertaining match. I mean, it looked. Honestly, like, the way the match went, you know, the quality of individual talent on the field, you know, the brilliance of the goalkeepers, um, and the fun attacking style that both teams played, it really felt like a lot of these championship, Champions League matches this year. You know, with just, you know, dramatic finishes, highly entertaining, end-to-end -end football. You know, it looked top tier. It looked like an amazing product. It didn't look like minor league at all. Um, so you're right, Aaron. It was, it was a real treat to watch that. Um, but, you know, Mizell is on his A game, and we get to extra time at 1-1. Uh, didn't even mention it, but Solomon Asante and Adam John were subbed on late in this match. Kind of made sense, Asante just coming back from Ghana on Tuesday, and uh, John playing... The weekend before, you figured he was going to start again. So in extra time, things get going, and early in extra time, weird, weird goal puts New Mexico ahead. Um, Santi Moore, as he did several times in this match, rips a long shot, and Devin Sandoval kind of times his run well, and more like a hockey goal than anything. Right spot, right time, redirects it into the net. Carl has no chance, and... You just feel the energy fully sucked out of the stadium at that point. Agree entirely. And I was up in the supporter section at that point. Um, I, I brought my son and he was learning all sorts of new language, which was just fantastic. Uh, Daddy, that man over there said, eat a bag of... Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, but he had, he had an absolute blast. So I was up there in the supporter section chanting and and uh, having a good time. and But yes, when that goal happened, it was like the air was let out of the tires. Kyle, anything to add? No, I mean, no, it, it literally was. I mean, yeah, at that point, I mean, we all know you, you work so hard to get to extra time after we'd already conceded one. Now New Mexico scores, you know, two goals. Um, it, really, you're just hoping and praying for a response for Phoenix because, you know, it's it's so difficult. And, you know, it was already, yeah, 
late in the match, you know, and uh, it was just one of those times that it seemed like after everything we'd done to, to go out like this, it was just going to be, a, you know, it was going to be really difficult to watch. Well, thankfully, the team does show a lot of fight after this goal. And, uh, you know, Asante was creating problems for New Mexico. When we were previewing this match, I figured that he would come on as a sub and he would just wreak havoc in this match. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, he was creating chances. He put a shot on in regulation. Um, Then in extra time, he plays Adam John through right around the 100th minute. And John blasted in. um, Beautiful finish. So well taken. Um, Mizell can't do anything to stop this. And it's 2-2 before even the middle of extra time and so now things people are saying can we get a winner here um you know great impact by Asante if not for the weird redirect goal my prediction would have been perfect Asante comes in gets the key game winning assist and uh makes the difference because New Mexico's defenders were having such a tough time tracking him um and he did really provide a spark that was kind of lacking once we got that penalty to go ahead um, but you know, but at this point, both teams are just scraping tooth and nail, um, a lot of tired legs out there too, a lot of space, uh, for teams to take advantage of if they can find it, but everyone's tired. So it's tough to do that. Um, Carl made one last huge save in the 110th minute where Chris Weehan had a near post opportunity. Um, but he stands tall and it gets to penalties and um, unfortunately, New Mexico wins the coin toss, which means the penalties are both away from supporter section and they get to take the first kick. Um, you know, when the margins are this fine, a coin toss like that really does matter. Um, both teams put their first two in. And this is, this is a talking point I want to hear from you guys about. I think our first two kickers, totally perfect. John and Asante. After that, we use Amadou Dia, Ben Spencer, and uh, and AJ Cochran. What is that? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. That's when uh, you know when when I saw we, I didn't you know we don't see the sheet or anything. But when you see those guys that that are stepping up to go take the penalty when they walk out of line, Dia, you know I I I got it, and you know he thankfully he he uh. He was able to do something, but it, it's just it's it's just shows I think our, that we haven't learned anything from our past penalty kick experiences, and and it's that you know kick order and the people who are taking kicks it matters greatly that they have experience and confidence, and you know it it really I think that is uh, what ended up hurting us in the end. Well, I'm and I'm trying to remember who took the kicks in the last. Um, uh, in the last U.S. Open Cup match, we had some improvement over the kicks that had to get taken against um, Sporting uh, AC. No, against uh, Swope in the in the 17 playoffs. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm looking at okay, AJ Cochran. Why do we have Cochran when we have Lambert available? Well, um, we have Musa available, who had just scored uh, in the game prior and showed. An incredible foot, and and he had great chances in this match too. He was striking the ball very well, even in this New Mexico match. And then what's that's right. He did he did have almost an identical 
uh, you know, where the ball bounced out, had just a gorgeous shot. And, and what's the most confusing for me is Devin Vega was subbed on in extra time, and he scored a, uh, a good penalty against Las Vegas last year on the road. And I was thinking at least half the reason he's on is four penalty kicks, you have a guy you can trust from the spot. And then and he's, he doesn't he's got go two up free there? kick goals this year too in FC Tucson, so he knows he knows how to score with the ball with the ball stationary. And you're gonna put fullbacks on to take those kicks over him? I don't understand that. I just absolutely don't understand that. You have Vega, Kavan, and Musa who are all hitting the ball well. I think there's more of an argument about okay, maybe not Kavan, but Vega and Musa had been, you know, they've been in form. They're guys that you can count on there. And you don't even give him an opportunity. And you put Ben Spencer, who's another late game sub, who has no experience in that situation. I mean, he scored, but still, it's just odd. And especially Dia, you know, a left back in that situation, it's just odd. Yeah. Yeah, no. but but you got to remember though, Dia Dia was wearing the captain's armband for this match. So I mean, he they they place him in a position of trust when when Solomon's not available um, to have that composure to have that um, uh, to set that tone, I guess. So if you say, well, here's your armband, but I don't want you to kick, that's a tough position, I think. I, I I'm okay. I was more okay with Dia kicking uh, than to have a, a second defender in Cochrane come out there and run it. And I think that's the one that's more frustrating because you have Vega move... Like, okay, I understand Dia, I guess. But now it's the kick that you need to make to stay alive in this penalty kick shootout. You need to make this kick. And instead of putting Vega, who's already shown that he can do it in a pressure situation on the road in a hostile environment, you put AJ Cochran up there. It's bizarre. Yeah, it's a head scratcher. I mean, it really was, and that and that's exactly how I felt then and and now. And it you know it makes it makes the loss bitter because you think about what if, but uh, I mean we there's nothing that we can do to go back and change that order. All you hope is that the lesson was learned because you know I have a feeling we might see penalties again at some point this season, and if we didn't learn from that, uh, whatever happens will surely be deserved. Um, one thing too to say before we. You know, we're not trying to crap on our own guys. All of our people had shots on target in the shootout, which really is all you can ask for. Um, Cody Mizell did make two good saves, and in particular, the save he made on Cochran to win that match was exceptional. Uh, one of the New England or New Mexico owners had a slow mo of it, and I mean, he really had to go full stretch. That ball was going to go only a foot or two inside the post, so he had a lot of work to do. That was a great save. And um, also ridiculous, he went to his left. Mizell dove to his left four consecutive times in a row. So as a shooter, you're like, what? He's diving that way again? That's just tough. Well, penalty kicks seem to be a bit of our kryptonite here. Um, I can't even talk clearly about it, apparently. Uh, 
And, you know, the thing is, we need to be in here for regular season. We, we've we've gone back and forth, you know, do we put all of our effort into it so we can play an MLS squad and maybe have the chance to win 25000 bucks or, like, in, in, and get some good local press or whatever. But here, now we can focus on the regular season again and again and again, and here's me making excuses for the third year in a row. Well, I, I, I don't think I can make an excuse for this because, look, I understand that it's a tough situation because this is probably our best Open Cup performance since 2014, which tells you all you need to know about how bad we've been in the Open Cup the last five years. Um, Ghost of Luke Rooney on Twitter had a tweet that I didn't... He put this out there and I hadn't even thought about it. Phoenix Rising slash Arizona United has not beaten a professional side in the Open Cup since 2014. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's astounding when you think about it. And it, it really shows that the Open Cup has not been a priority for this club. And we just, we've had bad luck as well. But I mean, it, it's just, it's it's so crazy when you look at, you know, five years of not beating a, a single professional side in this tournament. It's, it's just, it's kind of ridiculous. I beg to differ, though. I think 2017 and this year, the Open Cup was a pretty strong priority. Look at that starting eleven on Wednesday, and tell me that's not a strong priority for us. Well, that yeah, that that's what I was going to say. Is you know, it very clearly was a priority this time because if the team would have gone with the uh, the starting eleven that I predicted personally, this would have it would have been a four to one match, probably maybe five to one match or something like that. Um, so, it, but it was just a bad draw. I mean, why didn't we get the Madison forward Flamingos. I don't know. Instead, we get New Mexico United playing at the top of their game with two of the top scorers in the league. So that's the bad luck that that, that comes off of it. Um, when you're talking about the, the 2017 U.S. Open Cup, who did we finish against? We finished against San Francisco Deltas. Uh, who was Division who, Two at the time? Who, who was Division Right. We had two Division Two uh, leagues at the time. Tommy, so their Division Two, their striker, and. And they end up winning, and they won the NASL championship. Um, so they they were the top team in NASL that we lost, in, and we lost to them in the Open Cup. So, you know, was that bad luck? Probably not. I mean, that was a pretty good matchup against uh, against another really good professional squad. Um, their goalkeeper is, um, oh, we saw him already this season. I forgot what his name is. Um, yeah. Anyway, big tall dude, dreadlocks. And and they had they had Heinemann as their striker, and I know he's out on the Eastern Conference somewhere. Um, so they, I mean, they had a good squad, but that was a match where that's a fair chance to win, and we didn't quite do it. I mean, yeah, part of it is you hope for a better draw, but I don't think that you can say that the team isn't making it a priority. We just aren't getting the job done, and whether that's bad luck, bad performance you know, guys not having their shooting boots on, no matter what, it's frustrating as hell. Because, you know, now we're going on six years without even getting to play an MLS side. To me, I think this is just as frustrating as 2017 because I think 2017, had we won that match at home against the Deltas, 
we would have been drawn with San Jose Earthquakes, and Drogba would have had the chance to play against an MLS club. Didier Drogba never had the chance to play against an MLS club. And that was deeply frustrating because you know that Drogba would have given it a really strong effort, and that's just after he was playing in MLS. I think that was a year where we would have had a shot to make a run if uh, if Drogba was really just putting the team on his back in that competition. Um, and, and Earthquakes not being a great MLS side either. This year's frustrating too because we would have had you know, Colorado Springs at home the next round who is just falling to the bottom of the table like a rock falling to the bottom of the lake. Um, so, and then, you know, you never know what the MLS draw looks like, but it would have been awesome to travel to LAFC or, you know, maybe get a match against the Rapids, which would have been super winnable, something like that. But I, I know some people will say, you know, it is good that we focus on the regular season and it we shouldn't put too much into it because the goal is you know to win usl cup but you want to see us do something in that competition well you know i think this is the last thing that i'll say about it is that yes you do want to see us do it do something but our roster is so thin right now uh our roster was built to have some support at least some support from these loaned players um as of right now, I don't think we have any loan players except for care actually with the team. Um, all the LAFC players are in LA. Uh, Perez, um, Blackman, Batista, and the other Perez. <laughs> um, uh, so we are thin. So to have to go, you know, week after week or with having to deal with these sort of double games with essentially like a 22, 24 man roster. I mean, you saw last night we had to pull up two guys from FC Tucson and run that risk. Um, now, do I trust? I I actually trust two players from FC Tucson more than I trust Lamar Batista. Um, but you know, realistically, continuing in the Open Cup would have really taxed this team and taxed this roster and had a negative effect on the regular season. I mean. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we would have played on the 29th, and through luck of the draw, we actually would have had a bye week that following week. So it wouldn't have been the situation New Mexico had to go through where they're playing, like, three matches in six days. Um, but, yeah, there, I guess there's no point beating a dead horse any further. Um, just another year of cup frustration, but you can't, at the at the least, you can't fault the effort that they put forth, put forth this year. Um, you know, last year was kind of a sluggish eff effort for most of that match, but this year everyone was trying really hard. Um, so that's that. Any thoughts, Kyle? No, no. And like you said, I mean, at least this year, um, it seemed like we, we had the effort out there on the field. It seemed like last year we just completely underestimated Sporting AZ. So, I mean, yeah, it's very disappointing. And, you know, like you said, it would have worked perfect with our schedule. But, you know, it, it just it wasn't meant to be. And, and we have been very unfortunate with injuries and the whole loney situation and where these lone players. So, I mean, it, it's something that I think eventually, looking back, we will say that it did work out for the best. But that's going to require us, you know, just killing it in the league the rest of this year so that's what we gotta hope for 
All right, so after a little break for the Firebird soccer calendar, we'll be back to you with some team news and some other things going on around Phoenix Rising. Phoenix Rising next faces Real Monarchs in Sandy, Utah on Saturday, May 25th at 7 p.m. Match will be available on the CW and ESPN+. FC Tucson travels to Toronto FC2 and the BMO Training Grounds and Academy in Ontario. Friday, May 25th, match available on ESPN+. Phoenix footy fans will have quite a treat with a doubleheader of our UPSL teams playing at South Mountain Community College on May 25th and May 26th. Saturday's match, Sporting faces Southwest FC U21s at 3.30 p.m. Immediately following that, MSC United plays Southwest FC. On Sunday, May 26th, Sporting takes the field at 11 a.m. against Southwest FC and MSC United at 1.30 against Southwest FC's U23. So get out to South Mountain Community College and support our local soccer. That's it from your Firebird soccer calendar for this week. So we're back and we are now here to talk about some team news. Also briefly preview next weekend's match in Real, uh, well in Salt Lake against Real Monarchs. Um, this is an Real Monarchs team that's not doing well this season. They are not the Real Monarchs of old. Um, they are in 15th place in the Western Conference, just 12 points from 10 matches played. They did get a very late draw at OKC uh, last night, but they are not in the playoff positions. They've conceded a lot of goals, and their home field hasn't been the fortress that it was in years past. I mean, they've they've gotten some wins there, but they've also uh, lost most recently to Fresno. Um, they drew El Paso earlier this year at home. So this is not a dynamic Real Monarchs team. This is a very beatable team if we play our game. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this match? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think this, you know, compared to years past, this is our best opportunity to go up to Zion Park and to get that win. Um, I, I really, really think that, you know, coming off of last night's win, especially, you know, with, with that back line, using guys that, you know, we haven't seen, giving Dia a complete rest, giving Farrell a good amount of rest, I really, really think, you know, we should come into this match and have a great opportunity to get a win. I expect to see another quick start. Like you said, Salt Lake's not where they've been in the standings in the past, and hopefully they'll lack the confidence, and that'll give us the opportunity to get a get an early goal. Yeah, I think it's it's really tough to judge here because it, and it continues to be tough to judge in the entire Western Conference because yeah, they are sitting on twelve points. They're one, uh, one, three, and one in their past five matches, but they're tw they're sitting on twelve points now. 12 points to 17 points, they're, they're pretty much like two matches behind where we are with a game in hand. So it's so hard to try to judge based on just like statistics what this team is actually made of. I'm really looking forward to getting another month into the season where we can try to see some sort of separation in this Western Conference standings to see who's actually potentially going to be sitting at the top of the table um, versus, you know, just a game or two away from, you know, the third position. Yeah, and 
they'll be relying on some similar names, um, some guys that have been on the squad before. Um, Michael Chang is going to be up top for them. Justin Portillo in the midfield. Those are both guys from last year's Real Monarch squad that was leading the West for much of the regular season. Um, Andrew Putna in net. He's been a keeper for RSL for some time. Uh, sometimes they rotate keepers, but if he's in, he's a solid guy that they can count on. Um, a couple new faces to watch. Ricardo Avila, part of the uh, Panama national team setup. He's gotten a couple caps for them, I think. And uh, Tate Smith up top is a young guy. Um, Real Monarchs has made it more of a point to go young this season. So a couple of the veterans from years past, Sebastian Velazquez, Chandler Hoffman, have moved on to other pastures. Um, Velazquez is playing in Korea now, I think. And um, Hoffman for Birmingham Legion. I think they even had one or two other guys that left last year. So um, they're definitely a beatable team, but not a team that we can sleep on. And if you want an indicator of how sort of young and fresh this team is, uh, besides for Chang and Blake, who have five and four goals, there isn't another player that has more than two goals. And three of their top five goal scorers don't even have photos on the USL Championships site to represent their player. So this is a very fresh team uh, that they're playing with. But a team that's still uh, giving it a good effort most weeks, that's still fighting to the end. Um, they had a 3-2 comeback win at home over San Antonio. They scored right at the death against OKC. So, you know, definitely a team that we have to be on our A game against. We can't cruise once we're up a goal or two to nil. But um, if we're on our A game, there will be opportunities to score on Real Monarchs. I'm going to go and say we win this match. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be 3-2. I think this will be a fun, high-scoring match, and we finally break through there. Um, in the team's history, I don't think we've ever won in Salt Lake, so this would be an exciting opportunity. I think we'll get the job done. I like how our guys have been playing lately. I think I'm going to go ahead and call it at 3-1. Um, they are 3-1-1 and at home, so they still... They are still are playing pretty well at home. They're playing horribly away. They haven't won an away away match, um, but they're not in great form at the moment. So I'm I'm going to call this a three one victory for Phoenix Rising. All right. Well, since we're given predictions, um, I'm going to say two nil. I think we're able to keep the clean sheet. I really, you know, I think that we have some confidence now in the fact that you know we have a couple guys to back up both right and left back. I, I think that, you know, we were able to close this match out and uh, go up to Salt Lake and take three points. Now, here's another question. Would you guys be okay with a draw from this match? I, I will say yes, because we're going to have Tulsa at home, um, the following home match, and we'll have almost two weeks to prepare for that. So that, I mean, four points from those two matches I'd feel pretty good about. So I'd be okay with a draw. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I, I would be okay with the draw as long as we're coming from behind to get a draw rather than giving up a goal late at the end to, to concede two points. If it if we give up two points in, you know, the last fifteen minutes, that'll be really disappointing. 
I think it's if it's one of these cases where we're showing real, it's showing good ball movement uh, and showing good possession, and it's just an, uh, an unlucky bounce or something like that. Uh, I, I can probably deal with it if we come into the match um, and all of a sudden we're we're shifting from possession to uh, to counterplay or something like that, not staying within uh, the guidelines that that coach is trying to set out. I'm going to have a much bigger problem uh, with anything but a win in this or anything but a victory in this match. Fair enough. And um, at this point, we'll move on to a couple team news stories. I think the first one is Logan Gadula. Um, he didn't really get much run for us. He had a preseason match where he did okay against Real Salt Lake, but then, you know, didn't feature. Did he come even on as a sub once for us during the regular season? I think he came on as, as a sub in that preseason match, and he was pretty quickly injured. Uh, and and uh, although he never showed on the injury report. Uh, but I, I'm almost positive he got injured in that in that preseason match, and never got back to match fit. I don't even know if he was practicing with the team. I don't recall seeing photos of him. He's kind of got a, a, a noticeable hairdo that you could kind of tell that that's him. And I don't remember seeing with, seeing him even with the team after that point. Yeah. So FC Cincinnati officially recalls him and loans him to U.S. Open Cup Giants Hartford Athletic where I'm sure he will be getting more playing time. I, I don't know if there's much to say here, because I thought that he would be a part of the rotation for us. I predicted him in our starting 11 a couple times early in the year, and um, yeah, but, you know, he's basically gone before we really got a chance to see anything, so. And, and we needed him badly. I mean, we really needed... Uh, we needed to be able to see him uh, playing because um, we have we're we're so thin at that defender position. It's just awful. But that's not the way it's going to go this year. Um, Aaron, you had thoughts on another uh, thing that relates to team news. Yeah. So I have two two things. So the first thing is. Um, I was actually so I haven't been able to actually go to a match in the stadium uh, um, except for once so far this season, just due to the, due to my profession being a tax guy and, and not having the freedom to be able to do that. So I was totally stoked after the end of the match with the idea of, hey, we're going to have this happy hour thing still, where we get to hang out and uh, I get to have a beer because I can't you know I don't have a beer if I'm shooting with my camera and that's not professional on the sideline or whatever. But here I can, you know, sit around and maybe uh, hang out with some guys that I know and 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 talk soccer while the the parking lot's emptying. Well, uh, just about maybe 20, 25 minutes after the end of the match, uh, I'm sitting down with my beer and, and editing some photos, and some people come by, and security comes by. Hey guys, it's time to start exiting, and and me and a couple other guys that that had also gone over to get a. a a lower priced happy hour beer. It was like five dollar kilt lifters, eight dollar for that gigantic uh, uh, Mystery Jalisco bottle, and I think it might have been two dollar Bud Lights. I mean, really, you know, it, it's a it's a good deal um, instead of sitting out in a parking lot. And security's trying to usher us out, and really don't understand what's going on. So, uh, just want to let you guys know uh, who are listening to the Rising is One today that we're going to make some inquiries, trying to figure out what the plan is. 
because also there was no food there, and I think the, the plan was to keep at least one of the food vendors going. Um, at the same time, there wasn't a lot of us that there, there was only like maybe a dozen of us that even were trying to hang out. So maybe they determined that it just wasn't there wasn't enough interest to do that. That people would rather spend four five minutes in line waiting to exit the parking lot than to hang out and, and uh, for any any additional period of time in excellent weather. Um, so we'll make some inquiries and try to provide you some some uh, more information about that. Uh, with next week's podcast. If you have had any experience with this or you heard anything, please tweet us at uh, uh, tweet to us at RisingPod uh, so that we can hear what your experience is. Yeah, definitely. Um, I haven't really stayed for that happy hour uh, yet this season, but uh, it's definitely something I saw the team advertising and, you know, kind of odd that there wasn't really anything to show for it on Saturday. I don't know if that's only happening some weeks or maybe only dollar beer nights, but huh. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a great marketing marketing idea. It's a great way to keep people around. Um, if people need to sort of uh, sober up, you know, then they need to stick around and sober up a little bit. It gives them a little extra time. And then also helps us to build some more of that soccer culture. Um, if we're sitting, if we're standing around talking, and, and it would be really nice for us to be able to, you know, maybe interview some fans and throw some fan interviews on on the Rising Pod here. You know, it, there's a lot of opportunities for this uh, to help build culture, and I would like, I'd really like to see it succeed. Um, I'd also like some company while I'm editing photos. <laughs> so, um, in the last piece uh, that I have to bring up which is more of a league news thing. Uh, you may have heard uh, some news. Uh, Jeff Carlisle, the soccer correspondent for ESPN, uh, broke some news that um, USL is actually uh, submitting a prospective rule change to the Football Association board. Uh, that's the, the board that determines what the laws game are, uh, that it would allow for, for a, a fourth substitution uh, known as a head injury substitution. Essentially, what would happen is if teams had already burned through three of their substitutions, and another and one of the players received a clear head injury um, and had to go through concussion protocol, that a team would not be penalized by taking that that player off of the field in order to do an appropriate safety assessment. Uh, this comes about as the result of uh, the handling of an incident re- related to the Tottenham Hotspur defender Jan Jan Vertagen. Um, in the in the first leg of the championships league semifinal against Ajax, um, where Vertagen was allowed to go back on the field, even though he clearly was um, having a an out of body experience, um, started dry heaving on the side. I mean, it was really and essentially needed more than help getting off the field by two trainers. They practically had to drag him off of there. And it was a scary, that was a scary thing. He was bleeding from the nose, uh, very clearly had a concussion. And I don't know how that referee, I mean, referees, referee has several jobs, but the number one job of a referee is to ensure player safety. And I don't know how that referee allowed him to stay on the field. I don't know how the Hotspur, who I'm a fan of, I'm I'm a Tottenham supporter. I don't know how they allowed that to occur with one of their players. Very scary situation. We don't want to see that in the USL. 
Uh, so USL is actually leading the charge on this off of a, a proposal uh, by Taylor Twelman uh, and uh, with support from USL President Jake Edwards. Uh, Dom, what do you think about this? I think it's a, it's a great step in the right direction. Um, I don't know if the FIFA governing body is going to approve this. If they like to drag their feet on things that seem fairly straightforward, so I don't imagine there's going to be you know, this rule will be implemented by FIFA anytime soon, but I would love to see the USL go ahead and do it on their own, um, regardless of whether, you know, FIFA approves this for all of its uh, leagues worldwide. And it's awesome to see Jake Edwards being on the right side of this concussion issue, which affects so many people, more and more people all the time. Um, the game gets faster. The athletes are getting stronger. Um it just makes sense. So that's fantastic. It's another way that the USL might be the most innovative second league in the world. And I'm all for it. I hope that in the next year or two, the USL does adopt that policy and has independent doctors assessing players. Because I think a large issue with that Jan Vertonghen situation and with a lot of players around the world is team doctors might not always be neutral in these situations where it's an important match and a key player is on the ground and you know their their team doctors might be under orders from the coach from the front office like hey this player is okay to go send him back out there you don't want to see that situation yeah. here yeah and i found it kind of interesting in the article uh, which again can be found on espn.com uh, uh, they also bring up the fact that USL is actually, this is the first time that USL was sort of leading the charge in, in, in um, a particular area. USL was actually the first professional league to use VAR, and that occurred in 2016. Now, um, based on their experience, MLS adopted it the following year, it's, and it's been moving around. Now, USL doesn't have VAR anymore, uh, and, and a, a good chunk of that probably is due to our camera setup and some technological um, areas where they said, okay, well, this this is could work, but you have to have this number of cameras, you have to do things in this particular manner. But it's really interesting to hear that, that VR was actually piloted in the United Soccer League. Uh, Kyle, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is absolutely necessary in the game. It's something that I think all sports are finally taking concussions seriously enough that they're, you know, introducing this concussion protocol. And, yeah, the Jan Vertogen situation was one that, you know, I think it really got everyone associated with the game talking because, you know, it was on Champions League in the semifinal on such a large scale. So to see that happen, you know, at, at the big level, we see it happen, you know, in the division too. So it, it's it's you know prevalent throughout the game, and it's something that we really do need to see go away because you know these players they are giving their all for the teams, but it doesn't mean they have to sacrifice their future health um, because we are seeing now you know with a lot of NFL players you know but which you know they see a lot of contact, but soccer players do too. You know concussions are very you know frequent in the sport, so I think this is something that absolutely should be you know pushed. And hopefully the USL is a front runner in this. I think, as we said, it'd just be another, you know, backer of this league being second division in the world. And we'll continue talking USL as soon as we're back from 
uh, with some uh, uh, with some words about our sponsors. Back with scores and standings in just a few moments. The Rising is One podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Rising is One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL. And now, a special report from Stephen Hernandez, our FC Tucson correspondent. On Saturday night, FC Tucson hosted the Chattanooga Red Wolves. Both teams were looking to bounce back after disappointing defeats. Last week, FC Tucson fell to the Richmond Kickers 2-0. And earlier this week, Chattanooga Red Wolves faced off in an open cup match against League 2 side Tormented FC 2, where they fell 3-0. FC Tucson started off strong, and this time they got two first-half goals to show for it. In the 25th minute, after a handball in the box, FC Tucson was awarded a penalty. New signing Jordan Jones stepped up to the spot and put FC Tucson up 1-0. Then, in the 35th minute, off of a free kick, Guillermo Delgado fires in a close-range shot that the keeper spills, which falls directly to the feet of Cody Wakasa. After a simple tap-in, it's 2-0 FC Tucson. In the 40th minute, Chattanooga gave FC Tucson a scare when their new signing Yaya Sisi broke through the back line and went one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Ejimadu came off his line to meet him, but the Chattanooga attacker took a clever touch and was able to round Ejimadu, but he ended up taking one too many touches, which gave Kyle Venter the time to get in front of the net for a goal line clearance. That was by far Chattanooga's best chance of the night. Heading into the second half, FC Tucson maintained control of the match. In the 65th minute, Jordan Jones sent in a long-range shot that bounced off the post but ended up right at the feet of Devin Jomga. Jomga took a careful touch and then curled it around the keeper for 3-0 FC Tucson. Just 10 minutes later, Zach Wright, who Chattanooga did not have an answer for all night, was able to beat two defenders, reach the end line, and send in a beautiful cross that met the feet of Devin Jomga. I was able to catch up with Devin Jomga after the match and I asked him about his performance. All right, you played a great game tonight. Uh, I think you're now the uh, FC Tucson's leading goal scorer. I think you got three goals so far. So, how's it feel? Feels great. Obviously, um, we'll work on that stuff on the training ground. I'm just happy that my teammates gave me good opportunities to score tonight. Devin Jomga and FC Tucson will be back this Friday, May 24th, when they travel to Toronto to take on Toronto FC2. The League One Match Center puts kickoff time right at 10 a.m. If you'd like to learn more about FC Tucson's 4-0 victory or their upcoming game against Toronto, I'll be posting an article on firebirdsoccer.com later this week. So we're back, and we are here to talk about a lot of fun scores around the USL Western Conference. Then we'll get to standings um, and wrap it up with some talk about 
FC Tucson getting a massive win of their own. Um, so the the way matches went yesterday, it kind of broke perfectly for Phoenix Rising. You know, Phoenix goes into this weekend just inside the top 10 uh, for playoffs. We get the win over Vegas, but a lot of draws around the Western Conference. And that allows us to leapfrog a ton of teams and get all the way up to third place in the standings. Um, the action started yesterday when New Mexico United went to Colorado Springs and took care of business. Kavon Freider with a hat trick in this match, including two second-half goals when it was 1-1. Um, they get a 3-1 win. They maintain their spot atop the Western Conference on 21 points. San Antonio and Tulsa finish 1-1. Both goals happen early in this match. Uh, first, it was Brian Gomez getting things started, but then Tulsa equalized pretty quickly afterwards on a free kick that bounced off the post off of um, Cardone, their keeper, and into the net. Kind of unlucky there, but it finishes 1-1. OKC Energy was leading 1-1 in this match off a, uh, a nice goal from Cordell Cato, who lobbed the keeper in the 71st minute. Looked like they were going to hang on and get the win, but on the last play of the match, um, Monarch sent a ball into the box. The initial shot is saved off the line, but then Tate Schmidt is there uh, to rebound. You know, past two minutes of stoppage time, and it finishes 1-1 in Oklahoma City. Big two points drop there. RGV Toros and Los Dos play, and for the second time in three weeks, it ends in a draw with late dramatics. Galaxy 2 goes up first, but then RGV with two goals, um, and they're looking good to win this match, but then in stoppage time, balls played into the box. An RGV defender kind of misplays it, goes through his legs, and Ethan Zubak puts the ball in, so it finishes 2-2 down in the valley. Um... Probably the most shocking result from yesterday, Sounders FC, uh, well, Tacoma really, they get a 1-1 draw at home with Reno. And the fastest goal in USL Championship history is scored here. Justin Dillon scores eight seconds into this match. Sometimes teams will do a, a, a designed playoff the initial kick. This one actually worked. They did a little 1-2 to get into space, play the ball out to the wing. Ball right back into the box, and Dylan taps it home. Go check that goal out if you haven't seen it already. That was incredible. And then... Did that get put up at, at, at a, as a uh, ESPN Top 10? I don't know. Um, but it, it got a ton of retweets and likes on the USL Championship Twitter. Uh, so definitely check that out. Trey Muse made a couple dumb kick saves, like ridiculously good kick saves to keep Tacoma in the lead. But then Brian Brown... Scores it in the 84th minute, so it ends in a 1-1 tie. Reno only one goal despite 28 shots and 9 shots on target. Just an outrageous effort by Tacoma to uh, take 2 points away and help us out. Orange County and Austin split the spoils 2-2. This is a match where Austin scores first. OC ties it just before halftime, and then literally seconds later, off a re-kick, another quick goal. Um... You know, Austin just plays the ball to the side. They play a long ball forward, and it kind of takes a weird hop between a keeper, defender, and striker, and he's able to put the ball in. So Austin right away goes up 2-1. OC ties it. They try to win. They can't. Finishes 
Um, so another match where a tie helps us out. And then the one important match that was not a draw is El Paso starting to turn things on a little bit. They win 3-1 over Sac Republic. Um, this match was tied 1-1 at halftime. And then Jerome Kieswetter, uh, former German striker, comes to El Paso. He gets a brace in the 63rd and 73rd minutes. Um, two right place, right time goals where he just uh, puts the ball in the net. And El Paso is up to 16 points. Sacramento is below them, which is pretty bizarre. So that rounds up our Western Conference matches. Uh, no matches on Sunday. Um, and so we can go through the table right now. In first place, we got New Mexico at 21 points. Then Timbers 2 at 18. Rising and Reno both on 17. We have the second tiebreaker by nature of better goal difference than Reno. Fresno in fifth with 16 points. There's three other teams, or two other teams tied it on 16 points. That's Tulsa and El Paso. Then three teams tied for spots 8 through 10, that being Austin, OKC, and Los Dos. Just outside the top 10. Vegas, Sacramento, and OC all on 14 points. Wouldn't it be awesome if that's the way the season ended? RGV on 13 points. Then Real Monarchs in San Antonio with 12 and our two dead teams for the season. Colorado Springs on 8 points and Tacoma inching closer to them with 7 points. What are your guys' thoughts on all those matches? Were there any that stood out to you? I just love the fact that this, this whole season thus far reminds me of the Pac-12 basketball season, this this past Pac, uh, year Pac-12 basketball season. We just beat the hell out of each other. I mean, now there's a little more separation now, right? But when you're talking about the 16th place team has 12 points, the second place team has 18 points. Six points separating the second to the 16th slot, it, it just blows my mind. And there was a comment that was made, um, a, a tweet that was made by Jason Davis. Uh, Davis has a, a program on SiriusXM, um, SiriusXM FC uh, channel 157. And he said he was pointing out the dominance of Juventus and Real Madrid. And I believe it was Real Madrid, that these two teams have won their leagues seven years in a row. And he said, what would an American fan base do if one team just won every single year? <clears throat> and I, I asked a buddy of mine who's actually a football fan and a basketball fan. I'm trying to get him to like soccer. Um, and he said, everybody would turn off. Nobody would care anymore. Nobody would be interested. So here we're able to see a lot of parity in the Western Conference, a lot of parity in the USL in general, uh, and that makes it a hell of a lot more interesting to talk about on a podcast listened to by dozens of people. <laughs> Kyle, <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Aaron, for uh, just throwing our, our download numbers out there for everyone to hear. 
know, exposing us. You know, <laughs> you know um, I, I put a Game of Thrones reference in that U.S. Open Cup preview, and I didn't have a single person make any comment about it. I was so disappointed. <laughs> oh, dear. No, I, I think it's awesome. I mean, it, it sucks as a Phoenix fan and that, you know, all these teams are in contention, but it also makes it so fun from you know a fan perspective because everyone you know everyone right now is still alive like you said very much like the pac 12 basketball season i mean it's it's just you never know what you're going to get each weekend some team could jump up you know 10 spots it seems like almost depending on results and if they get a win so yeah it's really fun but it's also it's something that uh now that we're up near the top i'd like to see a little bit of separation would be nice if we could you know kind of build a cushion for ourselves but uh yeah, I mean, it it definitely speaks to the competitiveness of the USL Western Conference. I mean, I think uh, no one will disagree that it's it's very competitive. Yeah, um, we were in fifteenth place two weeks ago, and now we're in third. That that's just mind blowing. That's Phoenix rising right there. Um, and at this point, let's go to final thoughts because I think we're all. We're all in decent spirits right now. Who wants to go first? Kyle, you go ahead. I'll go. Yeah. No, I mean, I like we said, very good spirits. Actually, I think, I think you know, last night's result was just a great, great way to get us, you know, ready for a road trip. I think every player will be, you know, riding high. They'll all be motivated. You know, they'll get a full week's rest now which is uh, was going to be key and you know it's not even really a far road trip up to salt lake i think it'll be you know a great opportunity for us to go play a team that yeah they're not the team that they've been in years past but they're still a very solid opponent um i think you know we'll learn a lot more about phoenix for me i'll be very interested to see who's who's in the starting 11 you know what Rick Schantz does now that you know both of the right and left back positions seem to have a little bit of depth. Um, but I mean, I think this is going to be a great match, and you know we have something to look forward to. And the next time we get to see this team in person, it'll be Dollar Beer Night. So you know, everything is on the up, as Dominic said. Even a draw against Monarchs on the road will be a uh, be acceptable. So I think really we should we should have a positive outlook going forward into this week. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I think I see us finally turning the corner uh, that a lot a lot of us were hoping was going to happen a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm seeing week-to-week improvement here uh, in, in so many ways that I think that we're going to have a lot better of, of a showing now that our lineup seems to be stabilized and our method of play um, seems to be fully implemented. Yeah, and I mean, all this all this talk about how tough of a start of the season it's been, and yet we're right there. We are, you know, third in the Western Conference right now, and um, a really encouraging slate of matches coming up. I mean, not a strong Real Monarch squad. Then we have Tulsa at home and Orange County at home. I mean, this could be, you know, by the end of those three matches, we could be right there with New Mexico towards the top so um i think everything's coming up millhouse i guess right on 
Um, well, with that being said, I think this will do it for this week's episode of the Rising is One podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify, um, Google Play, other listening platforms. Give us ratings if you can. And uh, as always, Uprising. 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 Uprising.